I, um, I just wanted to thank you all for coming to begin with. Um, this is the first time I've done any sort of uh, Bible teaching outside of the home, so it's a little nerve-wracking, but I uh, appreciate you all being here, and um, hopefully I can impart what little wisdom I've, uh, I've, I've, I've sort of gleaned over the past couple of weeks of, of setting up for this. So, um, Lord willing, there'll be four parts to this, um, so it'll be every Sunday morning for the next four weeks. Um, we're probably not going to get too deep into the actual book at the moment, but what I'm hoping to do today is kind of give everyone context for the book um, and a bit of history around it and, and really what what it's all about to begin with and then jump into some of the deeper um, sort of context, uh, sorry, the deeper um, doctrine and things that are, that are set out within Jude over the, over the following weeks. Um, so I might, um, I'll move forward uh, with a couple of things and then we'll jump into a prayer and then I'll get into the, into the message. So, oh, where am I pointing at? Oh, I think it's dead. It should be on. It was working before. Is it out of batteries, is it? Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll nod to you. There aren't too many slides, so hopefully. Thank you. Um, so just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, uh, you know, I guess um, there might be some questions that come up. Uh, if it's clarification or I don't make any sense, obviously let me know in the moment and I'll do it. But otherwise, if you've got sort of specific questions that come up, I'm happy for you to write them down and I can maybe take it away and then the next week um, answer those questions when I come back if it's something that is, is sort of, I think, part of what we're, what we're covering or, or worth sharing with everyone. Um, otherwise, I'll just sort of come back to, to people personally on those sorts of things. Um, and and uh, just to why I picked Jude, um, initially I was thinking it was just going to be one Sunday, so I thought I'd pick the smallest book in the Bible and, uh, and that'll be over. But then Pastor said, can you do the entire month? So it's, um, it was a very interesting challenge and I honestly don't know if a month's enough to cover this, which is really strange. For 25 verses, the, the, the depth of the Bible just sort of overwhelms you sometimes. Um, so hopefully we can kind of wade into those waters together and, uh, and get something out of this. But um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. Um, I'm a little prejudiced because I'm the one presenting it, but I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. So, um, so questions-wise, happy to sort of entertain them at the end. Um, but if I'm not making sense, let me know in the moment. Um, and then I might get another slide going if I could, sir. So I'll do a section I call heart keeping, and, um, and this one's a, a, an important one, I think. So when I first got saved, my father-in-law sent me um, a study Bible, and the verse that he'd picked out to put in it is, is this one from Proverbs. Um, and it has honestly led every bit of Bible study I've done since. Um, so it's trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So... As, as with anything, when you're doing your Bible study or you're listening to somebody else present something, um, I'm going to get things wrong, I'm going to miss things, and maybe the way that I'm explaining something doesn't quite resonate with somebody, and, and everyone's got their own history that they're bringing to the Bible. But um, this really sort of is a lens to view the Bible through, um, not leaning to your own understanding, using the Bible to understand the Bible and bringing in the focus um, um, through itself rather than any, any prejudices you might bring or, or, or whatever it might be. And it's, it's very apt for Jude, um, as we get into it, um, about a sort of a worldly wisdom versus a spiritual wisdom um, and, and the, the, the dichotomy between those two. So, um, so just to keep that in the back of your minds as we're going through this over the next couple of weeks, so I think it's, um, it's an important thing to do. So I might, um, might start with a prayer. And then we'll, we'll get stuck into the, um, into the sort of the context for the book. <clears throat> uh, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we're able to meet this morning. Um, appreciate everybody that's here. Uh, 
Lord, I ask that you would uh, endow me with whatever um, wisdom or skills that, uh, that you would see fit to be able to deliver your message to, uh, to this group. Um, I thank you, Lord, that we're able to, uh, to have this book, to understand what it is um, trying to say. Um, and I thank you that we have this book at this time period. Um, it, is, it is apt that, uh, that we're able to, um, even in, in you know, a, a, a time that is so far removed from when it was written, um, it is still completely applicable. And I thank you, Lord, that we're able to, uh, to dive into it today. And, uh, and I ask, Lord, that you would uh, you'd bless the message, that it would be uh, edifying to your people, and that, um, that, it would, uh, that it would make you proud that we're all here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I might go to the next slide, if I could, please. So um, you've probably heard this at some stage before, the, the, the six W's of journalism, even though one starts with a, with a H. There's a W in there, so that's fine. <laughs> but um, uh, the, the six W's of journalism are really um, there to, to dive into. If you're, if you're writing a story or you're trying to tell a story or you're trying to get context for something, it's a fantastic place to start. Uh, there are a series of questions that really get you thinking about um, um, all of the aspects of a story. Um, so I find them quite... Um, an interesting spot to start, uh, whether it be Bible study or even other things that I'm doing at work. But I think um, in the context of this, that's really what I want to run through today. Um, go through these questions and get an understanding of what Jude's about, where it sat in history, why it was written, um, and, and all those sorts of things. So if we can go to the next slide, I kind of bring those questions out. So we've got who, who authored the epistle? Um, which seems obvious, it's titled <laughs> the way that it is. Um, what is this letter? Uh, when was it written? Where was it written? How was it written? And why was it written? And at the end of the day, um, another thing to bring out uh, just before we get stuck into it, all of the preceding questions aren't doctrinal in nature. It's, it, they're, they're somewhat irrelevant almost. The message of the Bible stands on its own. Um, the fact that it's in the Bible, who's written it, is, is you know, somewhat irrelevant. Where it was written is somewhat irrelevant. It's applicable to us today. And the last question is the one that should be the focus for anybody that's, um, that's going through their Bible. So although you know, I want to get, delve into this, and I think it, it helps to uh, provide a lot more flavour to the, to the book itself or to the, to the letter itself, um, it's, it's, it's not going to take you away from the message. It's uh, hoping that it's just going to add more um, insight into what Jude was on about and, and, and why, he, uh, why he wrote the letter the way that he did. So we'll start with the first question. So who authored this epistle? Oh, this is going to be tough without this one I've done. Oh, did that work? Oh, it's working now. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, so who authored this epistle? Well, it would make sense that you would, uh, that you would say it would be Jude. Um, so Jude's actually a contraction of, of, um, of a name, and that name in Greek is Judas. Um, and with the context of when the letter was written, which was after um, the crucifixion, um, you can understand, and, and, and it is in the context of the history of, of that time period, anybody that had that particular name was, especially a Christian, was contracting that name. Um, so to, to identify oneself as, as Jude was really to kind of remove yourself from you know, the betrayer and, and, and not wanting to be associated with that. So um, again, in, in doing the reading for this, there's a million and one people that will throw up a million and one different ideas and concepts that are there, but it is generally accepted that Jude is the brother of James as he identifies himself in the letter. And, uh, and that is... Um, uh, oh, sorry, I've lost my spot. 
apologies. Um, yeah, so it's generally accepted that Jude is, um, is, is the brother of James, as he identifies himself at the beginning of the letter, and that by context also makes him the half-brother of Jesus. And that is, uh, that is sort of the, the correct way to say it, uh, that is the half-brother, because obviously um, all of Jesus' brothers and sisters were, uh, were, were um, from Mary and Joseph, but Jesus was fathered by God. Um, and so, so it's right to say that he's the half-brother of Jesus um, and, and the, the full brother of James. So I might jump into the letter itself now and just read through it. Um, it's, it's probably going to be a little overwhelming to begin with, so if you could turn to the book of Jude, it's the, uh, it's the little one just prior to Revelation. Um, so I'll, I'll give it a read through um, and, and then I'll give you a little bit of context for it. But effectively this letter is, um, uh, as it says, a general epistle. Um, it's, it's not uh, written to any one specifically. Um, it, it is in the, uh, to the extent that it's written to those that are saved, um, but it doesn't identify any individual group or, uh, or, or individual church. Um, so we'll work through it. <clears throat> so it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance... Though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. That, that they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your, feasts, in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of the winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly with them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, with their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there should be mockers in the last time, who we should walk after who should walk after their own godly own ungodly lusts. Sorry. 
These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for, uh, for putting up with, <laughs> with me reading that one out there. Um, my son prayed a special prayer on the, uh, on the way here that I wouldn't get any tongue twisters, and lasciviousness was one that I was struggling over for a few times. <laughs> then I got choked up on some other words. But, uh, but I appreciate you, you, uh, to, to you listening to me there. So obviously with the context of, of what we just read in, uh, in verse 1, um, the introduction that, uh, that Jude gives himself, um, he refers to himself as the brother of James. So I'll read out some, uh, some references. You don't need to flip to any of them individually. I can give the references afterwards, but it sort of saves everyone from flipping forward and backwards between their, um, between their individual... Uh, uh, Bible pages, but um, uh, basically Jude is referred to in the Bible, um, one of the references being in Matthew 13, verse 55. Um, so uh, that reads, is not this the carpenter's son, it is talking about Jesus here, um, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Um, so having identified himself as the brother of James, uh, here we have the context of James and Jude being the brother of Jesus uh, in, in the message in Matthew. There's also a, a very similar reference in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Um, and the interesting thing here is, is even though he grew up um, with Jesus as his brother, which I think would have been a rather difficult situation to have, uh, to have grown up in, in all honesty, um, I think it would have been very difficult to have lived up to some, a sinless child. Um, having brothers and sisters growing up in that household would have been, uh, would have been rather difficult. But... Um, uh, it says uh, here in, in, in John chapter 7, verse 5, um, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Um, so it's, it's obvious that at some stage um, Jude has become saved. Uh, he's, he's got a letter in the Bible. Um, and uh, if, uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, there's actually a reference to, uh, to Judas being in the upper room. Um, so it says, uh, like I said, chapter, chapter 1, verse 13. And when they came in, they went up into an upper room, and there abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James uh, and Simon, and Judas, the, son of, uh, sorry, Judas, the brother of James. Um, so we've kind of got multiple references to Jude and establishing um, that, that relationship in the family, being the brother of James. So a lot of the times reference in relation to being the brother of James, the reason that that was called upon was, was James was obviously quite a significant figure of the time, um, heading up a lot of the churches, and, and a lot of people would have known who he was. So in having, uh, having that authorship and, and, and claiming to be the brother of James, um, he was kind of establishing, this is who I am. Um, that's really the only authority that he, that he really gives to speak on. There is another very important one um, just after his name, but we'll, we'll, get, that, uh, we'll get into that in a sec. Um, so the half-brother of Jesus... It's very interesting, um, Jude doesn't really play the family card in this. It's a, it's a very uh, subtle reference that he makes. Um, it's an interesting one, but he refers to himself as Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say I'm the brother of Jesus. Um, that connection alone would have been enough to have spoken on any authority. He doesn't refer to himself as a brother, he refers to himself as a servant. Um, and by not 
bringing that up, uh, it's, it's interesting the, the, um, the way that this letter is written and what it's actually getting at in relation to what was valued at the time as far as intelligence was concerned and, and, and debate um, and, and uh, what was valued by society and considered to be um, you know, uh, influential was this ability to draw down on, I know this person politically, I've, I've got this background, I've got this, that and the other. He really just refers to himself as a servant of Jesus. And we will get into some of that detail later, but it's an important note to make that as well when you're listing out your credentials and everyone does it, you'll kind of put the hefty one first. Um, I, this is where I've worked, this is what I do, and, and, and leave it as, as you go. He's referring to himself as a servant first and foremost, which is kind of a lowly position uh, in society. It wasn't considered anything of, 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 of a high authority. It was, it was the, the reverse, in fact. You had no real uh, rights as, as a servant, the, the term being slave. He's put that first and then refers to himself as the brother of James. So you've got this great figure within the church as it's, it's, as it's being established in James. He doesn't call that first. He doesn't put down the trump card of, I'm the brother of Jesus. The first one he brings up is, I'm, I'm a servant of Jesus. And we'll get into the terminology there, but it's just something of note to, to, to sort of think about um, as to, to how he's putting this together. It's a very intelligently written letter, and everything is there for a reason, as it is throughout the Bible, but, but very much so in this letter. Um, so, oh, yep, he doesn't play the family trump card. So the next question that I wanted to go through was, what is this letter? Um, so it's a single chapter. It's 25 verses, and it's a Catholic epistle. Now, I'll clarify here, that does not mean that it's associated with the Roman Catholic Church. It's got nothing to do with that. It's in its original context of being a general epistle. So, uh, as I said, it's not identifying any particular group or, or, or individuals. It's, it's not um, calling them out. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not written to the Corinthians or, or anyone else. It's a general epistle. Um, there are a few of those within the Bible. So, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter... 1st, 2nd and 3rd John and Jude, they're all considered Catholic epistles in that regard. They are general letters that have been put through. Um, so, uh, so uh, of those listed, as I said, uh, James, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 1st, uh, 2nd and 3rd John and Jude are Catholic epistles. So speaking of 2nd Peter, there are actually some very considerable similarities, and I'll call them similarities for a reason, but very considerable similarities between 2nd uh, Peter and Jude. Um, and as, as we've heard from the pulpit many times, if, if God repeats himself in the Bible, we'd better listen. How much more so should we be listening if he repeats an entire letter? Um, so I've, I've gone through and you don't need to write this down. This was for my own, um, my own excitement. And uh, <laughs> what, what I've listed out here is effectively all of, the, all of the verses in Jude from 1 to 25 and their equivalents in Second Peter. Uh, and you can see here there are a lot. It's not, uh, it's not sort of one or two words or phrases here. Um, now, the context, I'll, I'll say, is the same. The wording isn't identical, but the context for a lot of the verses is the same. Um, but that said, and, and, and I wanted to bring this up for a reason, because a lot of the commentaries that come out will be Second Peter slash Jude, and they kind of lump everything in together, which makes sense. You can see there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of similarities between them. So of the 25 verses... All but six are actually shared between the two. That's about 76% of the letter that's, that's replicated between the, the, the two of them. Um, but there are two books in the Bible, and they must be considered on their own merit. Um, there are differences between them, and it's in those differences that it's worthy of noting and, and, and talking about. Um, 
and I'll get into those differences as, as we move through. But I just wanted to highlight that. So there are some, um, one, one thing to call out, that uh, one of the references in Jude, um, he refers to Exodus. Um, so that's where he's talking about um, the Lord having uh, remembered the people out of the land of Egypt. Second uh, Peter replaces that with the Genesis flood. And of all of those listed, there's really only the latter half of verse 13 in Jude and the latter half of verse um, 17 in Second Peter, that should say Second Peter chapter 2, um, that, that are the only match. Um, so that is, my apologies, I'll just read that one out. The second half of verse 13, uh, that he says, um, uh, Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And, uh, and second Peter's reference there is uh, a tempest to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. So those two have very, very similar, if not identical, in the original transcripts. Um, but there are differences between them. Um, so although there is um, a, a general uh, feel to, to put these two together, um, I feel, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm uh, wanting to impart this to you, but again, you need to pass it through the, the, the lens of the Bible, that there is a very big difference between those two letters or the, the, the aspect of Second Peter and Jude, and, and we'll get into that in a moment. So when was it written? Um, so the general assumptions, and again, you can read a million and one commentaries on this that will argue uh, one way or the other, but the, it's generally accepted that it was written before Second Peter, after First Corinthians, um, putting it around 57 to 61 AD. Uh, there's a reason why I wanted to talk about why the timing of it, um, and it's to place it in context. But, um, but it's important to note that the assumption is that it was written after 2 Corinthians. Now, the fact that it's before 2 Peter doesn't mean that Peter plagiarised um, in that regard, that obviously there would have been a lot of communication between the churches at that time. There would have been a lot of sit-down discussions. That's how everyone communicated and passed on knowledge. Um, uh, there's not really any copying, I guess, in, in, in the Bible, but it's, um, it's that the same themes are coming up. There are terms that are used between each other and, um, and there just would have been idioms of the time. So the way that people spoke, these would have been generated similarities between um, some of the latter books of the Bible. So the next one, where was it written? Um, again, there's many commentaries on it, but it's generally accepted that it was uh, in or around Palestine. Um, uh, cities like Antioch and Alexandria uh, make sense. The logic for a lot of that being that these were highly Hellenized uh, communities and, and, and cities. So uh, that being Hellenized, not, um, not, not um, hedonism, but, uh, but more Hellenized. So um, Hellenism basically makes reference to um, uh, individuals that were influenced by Greek or the, the, the Greco-Roman culture of the time. So the, the Jews up until that point had been very separated and isolated in their communities. They, they kept them themselves. They were insular. It's not to say that they didn't an, interact with other parts of, uh, of society, but what they upheld was a lot of their traditions and, and, and they, they wouldn't have um, adopted as many of the uh, cultural influences preceding this. But around this time, the time period that we were talking about, about 60 AD, was, was when you had uh, a lot of uh, Jews in the West living in Palestine, um, that had started to adopt those customs and, and the language of the Greeks. And this is an important thing to note, that they weren't speaking Hebrew all of the time. They were adopting the Greek language. They'd have to interact in the marketplaces. They'd have to have those conversations. And just, you're living next to a neighbour, you're, you're going to pick up those influences. <clears throat> so it's important to note that, uh, that, that 
the, the letter, although we're reading it in English, in its original context, it's written in Greek, um, it is for that very specific audience um, of, of, of highly Hellenized individuals. And we'll get into to why that is in, in the way that it's been written. Um, but um, a, a big influence of the time was also the Greek philosophers that were coming into their own at this point. And, and so in the Greek culture, philosophy was kind of key. Um, whereas in the Jewish culture, it was, it was the religious aspect of their life that, that, that took precedent. Um, so Jude was very highly skilled at the, the, the rhetoric of his time. So um, uh, in um, uh, influential speech, being able to, to have conversations or, or writings in, uh, in being able, persuasive language, I guess you would say. Um, and this epistle is very much written in, in, the, in, that, um, in that context. So... With that said, the epistle is really more appreciated in light of Greco-Roman rhetoric, and that's why I want to do a little deviation into philosophy for a period of time. So don't, uh, don't be upset with me if we're going to cover off on philosophy. It's not a lecture, and I won't take too long. So um, just a bit of background in relation to Greek philosophy. The word philosophy comes from philosophia, which is a love of wisdom. Um, and effectively, what it was doing is, is looking at the structure of reality and trying to find a truth. Uh, the irony being that if anyone had turned to the Bible, they would have had all of that to begin with, but philosophy sprung up as a method of really trying to take God out of the equation and let, let me find a truth either out there in the world or inside to me that makes sense to me. So that was sort of the birth and, and what philosophy ultimately is trying to get at is a finding of the truth, whatever that might be. Um, but around the time of the uh, 5th century BC, so this is pre-Socrates, this other group came along, and they were called sophists, which if you have a look at the term at the top, uh, philosophia, they've just taken sophia, um, and, and meaning wisdom. So in the 5th century, this group came onto the scene. They were another, uh, another uh, bunch of um, um, philosophers of the time, um, and their sole purpose was the art of persuasion, uh, or rhetoric. That was their that was their. their their calling. Um, it wasn't necessarily about finding truth. The conclusion was irrelevant. It was all about the debate for them. Um, now, these were basically practiced public speakers. And as the society was moving along towards democracy, all the leaders of the time um, were really being judged on their intelligence, how well they spoke, what they were able to do. Um, so they would hold public debates. They would hold public forums. They would have speeches in public arenas. These politicians, these leaders, these, these public figures, they would hire these sophists at the time to come off a considerable amounts of money to basically teach them how to debate, how to argue, how to undermine their, 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 you know, their, their, the other candidates, etc. So it was all about an argument, putting somebody else down rather than necessarily raising yourself up. It wasn't about the conclusion or bettering society. It was all about, look how intelligent I am, puffing out the chest. Um, and that's, that's effectively in uh, Jude verse 16 um, when he's talking about here. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts with their mouths, speaking great swelling words, having men's per persons in admiration because of advantage. So they were getting money. They were, they were enjoying the high life and it was really just because they were teaching people how to debate, how to argue and, and how to influence and, 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 and capture people's minds at the time. So... Well, yes, 100%. If, if this doesn't ring true to the presidential primaries in the States or the, the you know, prime ministerial debates that we have on television, online trolls and, and debaters, these are people that aren't interested in doing anything other than creating chaos. Um, 
obviously they thought they were doing good. And in, 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 um, uh, when we get down to, to, to verse 16 and, and some of the other things where we've got a description of, of who these people are, I'll get into sort of a little bit more of the philosophy and what they stood to it for. And Yes? Yep. Yeah, yep. Well, the interesting thing is, of, of all of the sophists that are out there, there are very few writings that have survived. Like, if you think about the volumes that exist for Plato and Aristotle and everything, the sophists produce nothing. They were, as it says, you know, uh, waterless clouds. They, they produced nothing. So of the history of, of what they stood for, there's only a couple of them, and, and it's very evident that they've got nothing... Of, of any great importance to impart to anyone, but none of their writings survived. Nobody cared. They were just... Yeah, yeah very true. Yeah. I, I had to read a little bit of it in, in support of this, and it was, yeah, it was like pulling teeth. It wasn't nice. Um, so, so that's just a little bit of a background for, for the time that, we're, that they were in and where this letter was written in Palestine or some of those highly Hellenised areas. People, whether they be Jews or Greeks, were putting emphasis on this. It was all of, oh, these public orators, like, listen to how he put, ah, oh, that, that was a great double entendre, or that was a, that was a great put-down or an insult. That was what was valued in the society at the time. So Jude's epistle is calling to that. But the fantastic thing about the way that it's structured, and we will get into it in the, in the how it is written, is, and, and, and in, in later Sunday schools, is that he uses all of their, their skills against them. He uses all of, the, all of the sort of rhetoric of the time and the persuasive arguments and he puts all of that to use in his epistle and basically undermines that entire philosophy and that way of thinking. Um, so I just needed to give you a bit of context on that one. Um, and as I said, the, these, were, these were persuasion for hire. These individuals would just go from town to town, get paid a huge amount of money to teach someone how to debate and argue. Um, or they would just stand on a corner and talk to anyone that was listening. Um, so how it is written. So it is written in Greek both in style and, and language. So the language is obviously Greek, but its style is very um, Greek in nature. Um, it recalls Old Testament events, right? But it also adds in a few extra-biblical Jewish sources. And we will get into that, but there's, um, there's the Book of Enoch and the Testament of Moses. So both of those are, are referenced in the epistle. Um, they're, they're extra-curricular, so the, the source for this wasn't the Bible. Um, but... To put it in context as well, there was no Bible as it stands to that, that particular point in time. It was being translated into Greek during this time period. There were, there were many translations of the Bible into Greek, but there was no Bible per se. Um, so there, even though we've got extra, extra biblical sources, they do exist in the Bible. Um, they're not necessarily to be dismissed. It doesn't mean that those additional books have now become canonical books and they're, 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 they're to be considered on the same level as the Bible, but they're also not to be dismissed. Um, and we'll go through those. So the other interesting thing is that all of the Old Testament references use the Hebrew translation. It's a very deliberate choice on Jude's behalf to do that. Um, so although the entire thing's written in Greek and it's written in their style, he uses the Hebrew translation because he doesn't want to alienate the Jews that he's talking to, as well as the Greeks. So he's got this monumental task in, I've got to write a letter to these individuals that have been swayed by public speakers and, and, and the, the, the times of the day, I've got a Hellenized Jewish community, I've got a Greek community of, of saved individuals, and I've got to write a letter that not just appeals to them, but takes their minds away from that. It's, 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 it's a letter written in a way that it's using all of the, all of the tools at his disposal, and, and if you're ever looking for a, for a letter that's got divine inspiration, as they all do, but this is amazing the way that it's been pulled together. So 
Again, it's sort of lost in the English translation, but anytime there are Old Testament references, the terms that are used in the original one, although they're Greek, it's the Hebrew translation that he's using to write it in Greek. He's not using the Greek translation of the Hebrew source. Um, Another thing that's in there is the rule of three. Um, In persuasive uh, writings and in persuasive speeches, um, triplets are a big thing. Um, it's, it's, it's very evocative. It's the, the minimum amount that you need to establish a pattern um, with anything. There are plenty of examples in, from kids' literature, you know, you, the, the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Everyone knows what those three bears represent. It's, it's a lot easier to remember these sorts of things in threes. Um, it's a good example and reference, and there are a ton of them in Jude, even more than I thought originally, and, um, and, and we'll definitely get into that. So one of, the, one of the questions then becomes, okay, so we've got, this, we've got this letter from Jude. How does effectively a carpenter, and we'll assume he's a carpenter if he's taken over his, his, his father's business, but the, the, Jesus' family was not uh, considered to be an educated family um, of, of the time, and that's not an insult, it's just that's, that's where it was. So how, do, how does a supposed, we'll, we'll assume carpenter, from Nazareth get an education in Greek um, the, the Hellenization in Palestine, particularly around Galilee, really allowed for that. So again, as I said, he was communicating, he would have been communicating in Greek with people. He would have been understanding of that culture. Um, and even there's a very famous historian, and I'll get the name wrong, but Fla- Flavius Josephus. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so he's a historian. Uh, he wasn't a saved man, I believe, but he was a Jew from Galilee, uh, and he wrote all of this this history of that time period. It's a phenomenal book if if you can get your hands on it. But he um, he had this master uh, master masterful uh, understanding of of the Greek language. Um, again, he was a, a Jew himself. Um, so uh, it's it's very possible. It's a, it's very likely with with God's divine inspiration that somebody like Jude would have been able to have written this book. So it's an incredibly sophisticated letter, but it makes sense that it would have been written by somebody in, um, in, in that way. So why was it written? This is the important one. Um, this is the one that should uh, 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 take priority over any of the other questions. Like I said, all of the other questions are just to provide context, but if anything from the Bible is to be taken away, it is, what is it saying to me? Um, as simply as I can say it, and it's, it's in verse uh, 3, uh, he's exhorting saved Christians, and it's important, that is his audience, it's saved Christians. Um, although it's a general epistle, it's not written to individuals. He's not casting a wide net. He is specifically addressing people that are saved, and that is very clear in, uh, in, in, the, in the first opening verse. But in verse 3, um, basically Drew's saying, I was going to write to you. I was going to write a nice letter. I wanted to write about the common salvation. I really wanted to. Um, but a more pressing matter has come up. There is something happening within the context of, of the culture of the time, uh, within, within the communities, the, the Christian communities that are being established. There is something happening, and I need to talk to you about it. Um, so uh, he refers to, to the individuals uh, that he's talking about as uh, a certain men that have crept in unawares. For the purposes of the Bible study going forward, I'll refer to them as, as interlopers. Um, I think that's sort of the, the term that I want to use. Um, uh, some people use apostates. 
Um, but the definition between those two... So an apostate's really a person who renounces any religious or political beliefs. That's sort of the definition of apostate. I'll reject that. Um, an interloper is really someone who becomes involved in a place or situation that they will not want it or need it. Um, that is much, uh, much more the context, I guess, of what Jude is talking about. Um, one of the things that... Um, and, and this is, we'll, we'll get into the detail and I'm aware we're, we're kind of running out of time, but one of the big differences between Second Peter and Jude um, is Second Peter makes reference to false teachers. And I think that's because there are so many similarities between Second Peter and Jude, the default assumption is that we're talking about false teachers here. But in the context of, of what's written here, I, I personally don't believe that that's what he's getting at. Um, I think what he's talking about here is it's the backbiters, it's the people that sit at the back row of the church or that pull people aside afterwards and have non-edifying conversations that erode confidence in the faith or erode that Christian community and that brotherly love. Um, and the examples that he puts in there are very specific to that. Nowhere in the epistle of Jude is false teachers. Uh, that, that term doesn't appear. Um, so I, I want to kind of make that as a, as a point of differentiation. The, the apostates that we're talking about in Second Peter are these individuals that uh, they are false teachers. The examples that are giving are of false teachers. Um, but here we're talking about an undermining, something much more sinister that's happening underneath the surface, these individuals that have crept in unawares into that community and, uh, and are turning people away. And it's referring to them as ungodly men. Um, the, the, it's very clear in the epistle as well that he's not talking about saved people that have, have, have sort of caused error. He's talking about unsaved people in that congregation or in that group or in that Christian community eroding faith for the purposes of nothing. Um, and again, we'll, we'll get into those details as we go, but um, that's, that's why it was written. The other thing that I want to do is, is point out that I really see this book as a, a lens to view individuals through. It, it kind of holds up a lens or a, or a filter and says, okay, if you're hearing something, if you're being told something, pass it through this. Um, there are many examples here of, of uh, descriptions and, and defences against these individuals in the book of Jude. Um, it is really a lens, but what I want to emphasise is that it's not a lens to judge through. Um, it's not up to us to judge, and it's very clear in the epistle as well that that's not what he's after. He's saying, I want you to be aware of these individuals. I want you to understand who they are. I want you to know what they can do and the, 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 the absolute deceit that comes with it. But it's also very clear, uh, especially in verse 9, um, which we'll get into talking about um, uh, Michael, where he's having an argument with the devil. Um, he doesn't call God's name. Uh, sorry, he doesn't uh, use his own authority to, to, talk, to talk the devil out of it. He uses God's authority to talk him out of it. And, and I think that, that and a few of the other examples is really what Jude's getting at. Be aware of what's going on. But you don't have the authority to judge here, um, but be aware of what's happening in the background. Um, so just a, a brief sort of structure breakdown of, of Jude. Uh, so the first two verses are really the opening greeting and a blessing. And then he jumps straight into it in verse 3 and 4. That's his opening charge and he is asking us to contend for the faith. So if you're, if you're someone who likes to mark up your, your, your Bible, um, verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith. If that's something that, uh, that, that, that you're going to take away from it, that is what this letter is about. It's about earnestly contending for the faith. 
Um, verses 5 to 19 are some pretty harsh examples and descriptions of the interlopers. Um, as I was reading through it, there are a lot of, a lot of terms that he uses and none of them are, uh, none of them are positive um, in relation to this and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that um, uh, later. And then the fantastic thing he does in, in verse 20 to 23, there's also a defence against these interlopers. So it's not just saying they're there, but what can you do about it? What should you do about it? And then uh, 24 and 25 is the, uh, is the doxology. Um, and I think we're on time. I was actually going to go through the first two verses, but I will save that for next week. Are we, is it normally 10.15 this finishes? Yes. All right. Oh, look at that. Did it on time. Oh. Um, <laughs> all right, you don't have to hear me talk anymore. But um, so, yeah, so look, I've, I've got um, uh, three more sessions um, on this. I was hoping to actually just be able to deliver the context and, uh, and, and thank God that I was able to get through all of that today to give you an understanding of... of its time in history and, and really what Jude was trying to get at in that, in that time period. So hopefully that's been insightful for you or is a question or, yeah? Um, in, in your study, yeah. which, uh, by the way, sounds to me in very in-depth. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Thanks a lot for that. Thank you. But in your study, have you found out um, what Jude's occupation was? For example, we know that Paul was a Pharisee. We know that Luke was a doctor. Not, not really. So, so the question was: um, Has there, in my study, was there anything that made reference to what he, what Jude's occupation was? Um, so, no. I, and that's not to say that I've done an exhaustive research. I, nothing that I read really made reference to it. I mean, the assumption would have been that he probably would have taken over what his father did, as most of the families did at the time. So, being a carpenter after after Joseph. Um, but that's it's neither here nor there. I'm not too sure what he would have been doing. But I, I think. Um, it wouldn't have been a public orator, put it that way. Um, so he wouldn't have started... I mean, maybe that's what you're sort of asking. Did he have an education in this specifically? It probably wouldn't have happened. He would have come from a poor family. It was very hard to break out of those, um, uh, you know, the, the, the monetary gaps that existed at the time. You wouldn't have sort of said... No one would have been plucked out out of their home to go, OK, we're going to give you the education in this, that and the other. He probably would have been doing... You know, manual manual task, if not a carpenter, or something that made sense around his area, fisherman, etc. But he wouldn't have been. And again, it's it's assumptions. It's it's not something I can know for sure. But it's it's doubtful that he would have had an education in public speaking. It may have happened later on in life, but he certainly wouldn't have been raised in the context of that. To the Old Testament. Well, it's to make it more convincing. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's very persuasive. Like I said, he's using every trick in the book as well. I say trick, every persuasive tool at his disposal in twenty-five verses to capture these these individuals. So, um, so I'll save the um, I'll save the the, the, the breakdown uh, for the next few Sundays. But I really appreciate everybody coming out. Um, so yeah, I think. Does it normally end in a prayer? Or, all right, I'll uh, I'll do a quick prayer and then um, and then we we'll, we can be dismissed. Uh, Lord, thank you that we were able to uh, together uh, together and be able to, to go through this. Thank you that you were able to uh, to allow me to get to the end of, of, of the context um, of of the epistle of Jude. Um, I ask, Lord, that as people are sort of taking this and, and thinking over it again, that they would use the Bible itself to uh, to, to hold everything that's been presented this morning. Um, up to, uh, to, to 
um, to come to their own understanding, their own conclusions, um, but but not as as we sort of said in the opening, not as a um, leaning on our own understanding, Lord, but but on what you would have us understand through your word. So I thank you, Lord, that we were able to uh, to, to get through everything that we were today, and I pray that um, we'd be able to continue to gather over the coming Sundays and work through this um, through this epistle. And uh, and I appreciate. Um, uh, what you have uh, put forward for us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.